Well, good morning. My name is Ernie. Uh, my wife, Tamiko, and I have been part of Central for about 20 years. And uh, I'm not one of your regular preachers, so it is a sincere privilege to be with you. If you're just visiting or not even sure what you've even walked in on, um, <laughs> thanks for joining us. I was looking through a, a list of words or terms that, that all came into existence in recent times. And, you know, once we kind of become accustomed with a word, we kind of har- find it hard to understand how life would be without them. You might under- remember some of these words or recognize them. Besties. You know who has heard besties? Our kids use it. You know, we just used to call them friends. But, you know, no, nah, they're my bestie. You know, how about glamping? My wife loves this one because it does mean there is a form of camping that is somewhat more luxurious than traditional accommodation. Um, binge watching. Yes. How many of you are tired tonight or today because of what you did last night, right? Hangry. Oh, yeah. I know I admit a couple times a month my wife would probably accuse me of this. Emoji. Who thought that I could ever text now without actually throwing a little emoji con in there to express my actual emotion? Because I wouldn't want anybody to misunderstand, right? And finally, you know the old, what pose is this? It's a selfie, right? And we take a lot of those. You know, every language is always adding new words. And the text we're going to look at today also introduces a word that was brand new to the people of the day. We are continuing our series from the book of Acts. And we recognize that some passages in the Bible are prophetic, some are poetic, some are certainly instructional. Um, the book of Acts, really, it's, it's mostly just recorded history. And it begins with the time of Christ's ascension, moves through the day of Pentecost, the start of the church. It's into Peter's first sermon. It's into the, the martyr of, of Stephen, Paul's conversion. And then the last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, how Peter recognizes that the gospel is meant and, 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 and appropriate for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. The book of Acts was written by Luke, a physician, about 62 AD, or less than 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Acts 1 begins with Luke addressing this book to his friend, Theophilus, identifying it as a continuation of his first book, actually, the Gospel of Luke. You know, it's interesting to note that both Theophilus and Luke are both Greek men who had lived in the city of Antioch. Antioch's a kind of a city in ancient Syria, kind of the northeastern Mediterranean, and it's a key city in our text today. Antioch was the third most prominent city in the Roman Empire at the time. You know, you have kind of Rome up in the north, you have um, Alexandria in the south, and then you have Antioch over in the northeast. There's about 350,000 people lived there at the time this was written. So it's a big deal. It was uh, very connected via major land routes, and there's a large sea trading port nearby. It was affluent. Herod the Great actually paved some of the streets in Antioch with marble. And it was very corrupt. They had grounds of pleasure on the outskirts of the city, including temples and, that were known throughout the Roman world for perpetual sexual pleasures and other vices. An exciting thing about Antioch is this is where the Gentile church, or the, the meaning non-Jewish, like central, this is where the Gentile church really got its start. So we're going to read together Acts 11 verse 19 to 30. I'm going to ask you to stand with this is something new we've started here at Central, just kind of recognize that we are reading the Word of God, so to add a little reverence to the, to the process. And this is where I put on my reading glasses. 
Acts chapter 11, starting verse 19, and says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas sent to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas. So there's a lot of things happening here. Not the least of which is the spreading of the gospel message. You can all have a seat now. Thank you very much. The good news of this revolutionary belief system is that it was being shared by ordinary folks. So we're going to look at three primary points. We're going to look at the means of gospel spread. We're going to look at the message of encouragement. And finally, the manifestation of believers. So first of all, the means of gospel spread. It says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now we remember that Stephen was stoned as, as the first martyr of Christianity. It says they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now this was to be expected, wasn't it? Given the Jews had always had this exclusive relationship with God. For over a thousand years, the Jewish people had experienced Yahweh, you know, the one true God. And it says, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, who were Greek-speaking non-Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. I find it amazing, actually. They were preaching about Jesus of Nazareth, you know, who after his rising from the dead is now thought by some to be the Christ or the Messiah. They didn't have a Bible to teach from. They didn't have books. They didn't have commentaries. They didn't even have Google. And yet, what they did have was a conviction of belief. You see, some of these women and men, they were likely firsthand eyewitnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem. They may have been at the day of Pentecost, you know, the birth of the church. Right from the early days of the church, God has used people to share his message of love and of hope. And it says, verse 21, it says, that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed Turn to the Lord. This is great news, right? You know, it's probably, you know, but word of this made it back to those folks back in Jerusalem. And this is before email or cell phones. You know, Jerusalem is like 300 miles away. And it's been close to 10 years since the death of Stephen. And yet, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they're still arguing about the, the, the need for circumcision or to adhere to other Jewish customs. And now they hear about these non-Jews laying claim to knowing their God all the way up in that heathen city of Antioch. You know, we've got to check this out. Well, God, in his sovereignty, has him dispatch a fellow named Barnabas. 
He's a good fellow. He used to live there, you know, and he speaks the language. Barnabas, head down there and check it out. Uh, as an aside, even though Antioch, I just told you, is 300 miles north of Jerusalem, they actually said head down because Antioch's kind of down at sea level. Jerusalem's up at 2,500 feet above sea level. So anyway, Barnabas heads out. 300 miles, let's say he covers 20 miles a day. Well, maybe for you guys a little faster, but 20 miles a day, that would be like 15 days anyway of walking. Like, this is a serious hike. When Barnabas arrives, we read in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He was glad. You can only imagine what Barnabas walked into, right? A young, growing church. Many people still holding on to their old habits, traditions, behaviors, and beliefs. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I became a Christian age 23, I didn't get it all right away, you know? I didn't fully understand the grace. I still don't actually understand the full grace of God. But Barnabas' first response wasn't criticism, but rather he was glad. He saw a group of people who had believed and turned to the Lord. He saw a group of people that although they didn't know very much, their theology wasn't very deep, but they knew of salvation only available through belief in Jesus. And they knew that it was important that everyone heard about it. You know, although I really enjoy sharing with you this morning, my actual job is that of a pilot. And about 20 years ago, I had a job up in the Arctic. I would do two weeks in and two weeks out of a place called Cambridge Bay, Nunavut. It's kind of right in the middle of the Canadian Arctic, small town, you know, surrounded by treeless tundra, gravel roads and the like. So I get there and I realize, you know, there is no church stuff for youth. There actually wasn't anything for youth in general. So I thought, you know, I think I could start a youth group here. So I went, there's two stores in town. There's the co-op and the the uh, northern store. So I talked to the managers of each. Now, neither of them were Christian people, but they sure liked any sort of uh, initiative for youth. So they said, help yourself to as much candy and soda pop as you want, which I did. There's a, a small uh, hotel-like business in town that had a multi-purpose room, and they said, make use of it, whatever you want. There was an Anglican church in town with a congregation of about eight people, you know? And, and the, the minister there, his name was Russ, he and a couple of ladies said, we'll help you out. So I put out the word to a couple of school teachers I knew and said, hey, tell, every, you know, tell your kids, Tuesday, 7 p.m. So, you know, I, I uh, prepared a few games, a couple of songs, and a basic gospel message. Well, Tuesday, 7 p.m. came, and there were three students. I said, hey, guys, you know, is there any chance that you have some friends that might also want to join us? Maybe if we could pick them up? And they said, Sure. So we all jump in the pickup truck, the company truck that I had borrowed, and we headed out in town. I honked the horn a little bit. We had a truckload in no time. Quite honestly, there was 12 to 15 in the box. There was another 8 or 10 in the cab. Now, it was a crew cab, and we actually had probably 5 or 6 sitting on the roof. I know, highly irresponsible of me. I get it, but, you know, we were excited, right? So we get back to the multi-purpose room, and other students had found, had, had found us. So we probably had about 35 students that first first night. And uh, I fed him full of sugar through the games. There's kind of hyper-participation through the singing. And they were hanging off the rafters by the time I got to my talk. Quite honestly, like, it was a mess. But as crazy as it was, I think that had Barnabas walked in on us, I think he would have been glad you know, he would see that here was a few or a few Christians doing our best to communicate the hope 
of salvation to the lost. Did I get it right? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> the ladies actually suggested I do less sugar next time. You know, we ran the group for two Tuesdays each month for, the, for a few months uh, until my job in Cambridge Day, Bay ended. And my last day there, one 13-year-old boy named Travis, he and I met for coffee. He was a regular at the youth nights. We prayed together about salvation. I left him a Bible. Three months later, I got a phone call. Travis has died. You know, we never really know what the future holds. These people of Antioch, likely very worldly by our standards, were confronted by the truth of the gospel, and it changed their ways. What excited them was no longer self-indulgence, but rather Christ. Their hearts and their habits had changed. Charles Spurgeon writes, if your theology doesn't change your behavior, it will never change your destiny. So Barnabas arrives in town. He looks around. He doesn't tell them they have things wrong, but rather he is glad. Now Barnabas is known as a son of encouragement, so it kind of fits, doesn't it? But, but what did he tell them? Our second point, what message? The message of encouragement. So back to verse 23, it says, When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many were added to the Lord. He says, to remain faithful to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the church in Antioch, they had many reasons to quit. Cultural pressures, alienation, mockery, but they maintain their conviction about the message. A message that, you know, once a Christian, you know, we carry our entire lives. <laughs> Rick Warren says, faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you will never retire from serving God. And Barnabas says to remain faithful with a steadfast purpose. In Hebrews 3, verse 13, it says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You know, many of us have experienced ourselves or observed new believers be excited about this newfound faith in Jesus, only to have it undermined by the pressures of life. You know, I think sometimes, especially if you become a Christian, you kind of, you know, I grew up in the church, your faith may not be any deeper than when you were a child. Basic answers to questions given in Sunday school, you know, although true and helpful to an eight-year-old, require further study and more understanding as a 38-year-old. Barnabas saw that wonderful things were happening, but to remain faithful to the Lord and not be tainted or drawn back into their old habits and lifestyles, their faith had to deepen in understanding. They required effective discipleship. So in verse 25, we read, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas could have assumed the role of, of head pastor, leader, teacher of the church of Antioch. But he knew a guy that had better teaching gifts than he did. His name was Paul. He like hadn't seen him in years. Paul, also known as Saul, had left Jerusalem about 10 years earlier because people wanted him dead. And, and he went back to his hometown of Tarsus 
where no doubt he was all, already you know, actively preaching and teaching in the surrounding area. But, but Paul is regarded now as the primary apostle to bring the good news to the Gentiles. His late missionary journeys proved this out. Now, this invitation from Barnabas for Paul to join him in Antioch was really the beginning of Paul's primary mission. When it says, you know, Barnabas went to get Paul, it, it kind of sounds like, you know, jumping in his car and driving to Abbotsford or something, right? Well, well actually, Tarsus is like 100 miles west of, of Antioch. So it's kind of like you arriving at the school here today having walked from, like, maybe Merritt and then walking back again. Barnabas knew this church required discipleship, and he was willing to walk 100 miles to find someone equipped to help. Here at Central, we really believe in the importance of discipleship. Discipleship being the process of making someone become more like Christ. Not just learn about the teachings of Jesus, but actually live them out. Many of us have heard about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, notice it doesn't say go and make a safe place. Go and make a comfy social club. It actually doesn't even say go and make converts. It, it says go and make disciples. If you're feeling a desire to grow in your faith, plug into a life group here at Central. Take advantage of our foundations classes that are launching this fall or, or other different ministries specific to you. Visit our website or speak to your campus pastor, Jonathan, you know, to get plugged in. Understanding something deeper or with greater understanding is always rewarding. You know, I think of the time that I spend to become competent at my career or even my hobbies. Putting some time into our spiritual competency, allowing the Holy Spirit to provide new insights, this is exciting stuff. If we think we can navigate the challenges of life or discern the multitude of ideas in the world without investing time, energy, and prayer, we're fooling ourselves. When society is moving quickly in one direction, you know, whether it's active euthanasia, broadened abortion access, uh, promoting gender fluidity in grade school, you know, in addition to the kind of traditional attacks about the existence of God or absolute moral principles, universal first cause, you know, we must have confidence in the biblical narrative of God's creation and his redemption story. If we expect to have reasonable confidence in our belief and faith, then we all require teaching and study. And there is an aspect of faith that is blind, you know, the whole walk by faith, not by sight thing. But, but the example here is that the further teaching and learning is worthwhile. In verse 26, it says, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught for a whole year. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know, in life, physical maturity is inevitable, right? We all grow older. Behavioral maturity that is a choice. Just ask my family who are still waiting for me to grow up. <laughs> um, our spiritual maturity, however, isn't inevitable, but it isn't supposed to be a choice. We all start as immature Christians, 
But the command is not to remain there. Never stop learning. Never stop seeking God. Praying for the Holy Spirit to transform your heart. Not just for your own sake, but for God's glory and the positive effect that we can have on everybody around us. So what is the sign or impact that we should have? Point number three talks about the manifestation or, or marks of the believer. So in verse 26 it says, And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. There is our new word for the day. You know, there are differing opinions as to who initiated the use of the term Christian. Some say it came from, from within the church, you know, ministry and ministers, but more people say that from outside of society. You see, up to that time, the believers called themselves saints or disciples. So it does seem reasonable that this term actually did originate from outside of the church. Bottom line, it was a brand new word. Used as an adjective or a noun, it kind of means, you know, a believer in Christ. Do you remember how I said the city of Antioch was a big city, a diverse city? Well, it was also a divided city. The city had a circular wall all around it, you know, to protect against the, the bad guys. But it also had interior walls, and these interior walls acted as dividers between different people groups. And Antioch was referred to as all the world in one city. You could see the world's richness, the diversity of people all in one place, but divided. Then along come these Christ followers. They say they have a message of hope for all people. The barriers start coming down. Onlooker said, this is different. You know, there's great Greek-speaking people from, from all backgrounds, and they're, they're becoming kinder. They're looking after the widows and the orphans. Business owners, as well as their slaves, are, are celebrating and they're worshiping together. What do we call this new group of people? These were outside community members naming this new people group who claim to follow the risen Christ. They were not called Christians because they blended in with society, but because they were unique. Some assume the term was meant even as a derogatory term initially, but I think the church kind of liked it. Here is a group breaking down walls of division. Galatians 3, verse 28. There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Would you say this is what defines the church today? Is this what describes Central Church here in Chilliwack? I would challenge us all that where there's division, the gospel should bring unity. You know, we've seen in the past disagreements over service times, types of music, a myriad of subjects. We're now experiencing some disagreement, for sure, over when and where to wear a mask, or, or even should I get a vaccine? These topics can carry power to divide if we let them. These topics certainly matter. I'm not trying to minimize them at all. But we may never find total agreement in them. Bottom line, though, is that discussion about masks or not, this, this should always pale in comparison to celebration of the gospel. Jesus Christ, Almighty God, chose to be beaten and hung on a cross for us. Sacrificed himself for you and for me. And yet I find it difficult 
to sacrifice my preferences, my rights, or my pride to allow just to show some love to my neighbor? The society in Antioch was screaming values, policies, rights for and against this oppressive Roman rule. Yet this new people group, they were so radically different that they required a new categorization. They were called Christians. I challenge each one of us, and here I'm preaching to myself first, please hear me, to evaluate our hearts and our attitudes. In light of the sacrifice of Jesus and the example of the church in Antioch, you know, uh, a quick Google search tells me that there are, as of 2020, 2.5 billion adherents to Christianity. Wow, like a third of the world's population identify as Christian. Given the level of conflict and division in the world today, I wonder if some of we 2.5 billion Christians have perhaps either lost our way or, or maybe aren't the real deal. A few months ago, I was trying to board an American Airlines flight in Dallas, Texas. Because I'm a pilot, I'm able to cross the border you know, with, with, with an exemption. And usually when I fly, I wear a bit of a uniform. But on this particular occasion, I was kind of dressed like I am now. And uh, because, I'd, you see, I'd just flown a small aircraft from Langley down to Dallas for a delivery. And now I'm just trying to jump on the airline to come home. Well, the ticket agent took exemption to my declaring pilot status. I showed her my airline transport pilot's license. I showed her in the Canadian COVID guidelines why I am eligible for exemption. But both she and her manager agreed that American Airlines policy stated, pilot exemption did not extend to private pilots, but only professional pilots. Talk about hurt. Since I didn't, since I didn't look like a professional pilot, then I couldn't board. I thanked them for being kind. I actually did. I mean, doing their job. Asked me book on tomorrow's flight. I engaged in a little small talk. And then I walked away having missed my flight. I promptly went to a pilot shop. You know, one of those stores that sell pilot stuff. I purchased a white shirt, purchased four bars, a tie, slacks. I even went and got to grab the COVID test just in case. Well, the next day, I breezed onto the flight. And when I arrived into Vancouver and passed through the Canadian customs, they didn't even ask me where I had been or for why. But they stamped my customs card and said, have a nice day. I had the same credentials on Thursday as I did for Friday, but my visible appearance now matched my invisible credentials. Now, I know this illustration breaks down horribly when we compare it to being a Christian or, or speak of spiritual renewal, but, but I kind of think it's a funny story. But I realize that only God knows who truly is a Christian or not. But is it possible that some of the two and a half billion Christian declarations are in name only? So what are some marks of a true Christian? Well, in speaking to this exact subject, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Like, wow. Like, none of us are going to achieve this list of all the time. But, but as Christians, these should be attributes that we pursue. And when we come up short, these are the attributes that guide our repentance and, and seeking forgiveness of God and of others. And thankfully, God is gracious, quick to forgive, and abounding in love for us. It was striving to live out these attributes in Antioch that set these believers apart and earned them a new designation. Now back to the text. Let's finish up here. Verse 27. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So a prophet comes, tells of a looming famine, and in verse 29 it says, the disciples determined to buy plenty of wheat, oats, guns, and toilet paper and hoard it just in case. <laughs> no, that's not what happened, was it? No, what it actually says is, it says the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to brothers living in Judea. These relatively new Christians submitting to the Holy Spirit prompting and guidance from these leaders, they gave to people that they didn't even know. I love how it says they gave according to his ability. You know, already giving was moving away from the law and moving more to a model of freedom and generosity. You know, we live in a time with the highest standard of living in history. And sometimes I often struggle with, it isn't how much should I give, but how much am I choosing to keep to spend on myself? You know, I love how James explains this connection between my faith and my actions or my giving. It says in James 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, there is a really beautiful thing happening here in Central. Through the people around Chilliwack. It, it, it's generosity. Our Help in the Time of Need initiative has opened the eyes to many of us to practical helps. Supporting people within the church and often people outside of the church helping people with transportation, groceries, rent, etc., without an agenda or expecting anything in return, it starts to feel a little bit like the love of Christ. Thanks to many of you, really, for loving people well. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Or as C.S. Lewis puts, love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. Do you know this kind of love today? Do you feel the freedom to express this kind of love to people around you? Are you here today and this whole Jesus talk still sounds kind of weird? Are you a person here who just realized that, hmm, maybe you're a Christian in name only? 
Are you here today, a Christian, but realizing your faith needs to grow deeper? I think I've just probably described every one of us. Um, The church in Antioch, they were aware of their shortcomings. They understood their sin separated them from God and left them spiritually condemned. Jesus Christ, whom some of them would have seen personally, he died on the cross as a payment for those sins. And if that were the end of the story, then I think this church in Antioch, or or central here today, this church would not exist. Because the Jesus who died on the cross, he rose again, and he appeared to hundreds of people who could verify the fact. The people in ancient Israel and throughout the Roman Empire were willing to die for that truth. This same truth, this message of love, is available to you and to me today. All we have to do is surrender to him and accept his forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for your word. We're thankful that uh, as you kicked off that church in Antioch, Lord, we can just learn so much by their example. Lord, I pray that each one of us uh, today and as we head through this week, uh, just really feel a a pressing on our heart as to what our next steps in faith should be. Lord, you put us each on a unique journey. Let us be sensitive to everybody's differences, but let's choose to unite, Lord, around your truth and your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.